Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Canadian Story. Today, we are joined by Jeff Liang. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. You're very, very welcome. It's our, our pleasure. Um, we- Jeff, why don't you tell us something that you love about Canada? Uh, oh, okay. So, hmm. So when I heard the last podcast with Ian, he was talking about the seasons being something that he really likes about Canada. Um, I wanted to go something along the same lines of that, but I do want to bring up something other uh, that makes you know Canada unique. And I think something that, really resonates with me and something I really enjoy about living here in Ontario is um, our proximity to nature. Um, mm. Even though we, it's very easy for us to like live in a very kind of like downtown hub, like Toronto, let's say. Um, so you could be on Bay street one second and then the next minute like you're in Algonquin, you know? Uh, and it's, it's not that far away. Right. Exactly. And having that kind of contrast uh, I think is a really neat part of living in a place like Canada. Uh, whether you're like in Vancouver or Alberta or Ontario, uh, I think it's really easy for anyone to kind of like escape and disconnect from, you know, uh, modern life, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, why don't you just uh, give us the elevator pitch? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you're all about. Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised here um, in Burlington, um, and I went to school here, went to McMaster University to study business, um, and right now I own a float tank center here. Um, It's also known as sensory deprivation tanks for anyone who's listened to like Joe Rogan or anyone of that nature. Um, And throughout my life, I've tried to involve myself with a lot of different things that interest me. So I like to play a lot of music, like piano, guitar. Um, I like to do archery and use that for hunting as well. Um, I like to do jujitsu. I really love martial arts, grew up doing that as well. Um, And yeah, I've just kind of kept all those things as a part of my life um, when I was a kid that I really enjoyed and just found other ways to channel that uh in my adult life now so went from karate to jujitsu um went from loving fishing and the outdoors into archery and hunting uh and i've always had a fascination with like consciousness and that kind of led me into opening up my float tank center okay i want to hear more about that what is it about consciousness that fascinated you so much that you decided like I've, i i don't know much about uh float tanks I've, I've listened to joe rogan too i'm sure you have zach but tell us like how consciousness plays a role in that what uh, what brought you to this being your business and what you love about it mm-hmm. so maybe i'll just give a quick rundown of what floating is for anyone yeah that'd be awesome yeah please you know? do um so basically you can think of it as like a big bathtub filled with water that comes up to about your knees and it's filled with a thousand pounds of Epsom salt. And once you go inside, the idea is you just lie on your back and it keeps you afloat effortlessly, like you're lying in the Dead Sea, essentially. Uh, you also 
turn off the lights so that there's no lights coming in. We design the rooms so that they're as soundproof as possible, so there's minimal noise coming in. And the water's heated to your skin temperature so that once you really settle into it, you're not going to feel the difference between your body, the water, and the air. And it's kind of like you're floating in space. And so when huh. you take away all these senses, you know, your sense of touch, your uh, sense of sight, and your sense of uh, hearing, you take all those away, it allows your body and your mind to go into like a really deep state of relaxation. Uh, and that's where a lot of amazing things happen. That's where this whole consciousness thing comes in. Uh, so okay, does that so tell, kind of make yeah, sense? That, that, that makes total sense. What? I, sorry, I have, I have a question that I have to ask. Yeah, yeah. On a yearly basis, how much does your business spend on Epsom salt? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so you don't each, each tank's got about 1,000 pounds. Um, and I have to replace hmm, anywhere between like 20, 20 to 50 pounds a week. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's really not like, the it's initial... not as bad as I thought it was going to sound. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess I didn't know how it worked either. I was like, well, do they have to like do a thousand pounds every time they put someone in no. there? <laughs> that would be crazy. No, so, no. So what are some of these things that happen for people when they're, uh, when they're engaged in this kind of meditation? I guess it's a sort of meditation. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, I, I try kind of say it's training wheels for meditation. Um, oh, or, I like that. I like yeah. that. Or if you're already experienced at meditation, it's like meditation on steroids. So yeah, the idea, sense. the idea of meditation is that, well, I mean, really there's no point to it, but, um, really when people get into a deep kind of state of meditation, you know, generally there's a lot of relaxation, uh, responses. So your heartbeat's going to slow down, your breathing slows down, the general chatter in your mind kind of slows down. Um, and when you're in a really relaxed state, that's where kind of the creativity part of your brain opens up, you know, um, almost in a similar way how you can't really control dreaming. Like when you dream, you just have crazy thoughts. Uh, similar to this, when you go in the float tank and you get into that really deep state, um, you're kind of letting your mind just run free, essentially, because what's happening is you're going into what we call the theta brainwave state. So right now, we're all in either alpha or beta brainwave stage, which is like wakefulness. When you are asleep, you're in delta brainwave uh, and theta is right in between. It's when you're falling asleep or when you're waking up in the morning. You know that feeling like when you're just yeah, waking, yeah, and it's like you're just coming out of your dream and you kind of remember your dream, but it starts to fade away real quick. That's theta phase. But the thing is, it's really difficult for us to maintain that phase because when you're uh, at night, when you're going to bed, you don't really know when you fall asleep. You just kind of fall asleep. Yeah, um, yeah. So what the float tank does, it, it actually helps people get into that theta brainwave state, but also maintain it. So it's like this lucid kind of like half consciousness, half awake, half dreaming state. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how often do people fall asleep in these tanks? 
it does happen. Um, I've fallen asleep in there many times. Uh, but I would say more often than not, people are getting into that really deep relaxation phase where they come out and they're like, I don't know if I fell asleep. Like it felt like I was, but I also wasn't. And then I explain this whole like theta thing to them. And then they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Like that's, you know, it makes sense to them that, that that's how they felt while they were in there. They couldn't quite get their finger on like, was I fully asleep? And I was like, oh, no, but I wasn't fully awake either. Hmm. So, yeah, it's and a what, really what kind of like revelations would you say are, are in in those places? What have you learned about yourself, and what what do some of your clients tell you they've learned about themselves? Mm-hmm. So, I don't want to speak for anyone else because it's like such a unique kind of experience. Like everyone's going to have something different. So, anyone who's thinking about doing it, just know that like you're going to have your own unique experience. But for me, at least. Um, I've learned a lot about how my mind just has thoughts and they come up, but I'm not necessarily associating myself with those thoughts. Uh, I love that. I love that. Keep keep going on that. (laughs) So one of the big fears or one of the big hesitations people have before they want to try something like floating is they think to themselves, oh, I don't know if I could handle being alone with myself and my thoughts for an hour. Yeah, like, I don't know if I'm going to like the things that come up. And normally these are a lot of thoughts that surround kind of like anxiety um, or, or some kind of like maybe – confidence um or or self-doubt or negativity uh that creep in like oh like there's something about myself that i don't like which everyone's got right yeah for sure so easy for us to be distracted every day so that we don't have to think about those things like you know at least when i was working an office job from nine to five you know it was it was just go 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 all day you know you wake up you don't have time to think about anything. You just get ready. You go to work, you work all day. You're just thinking about that. You come home and whatever it is else you got going on, maybe you're going to go work out, take the dog for a walk, whatever it is. It's like your mind is constantly like on something and, or, or like scrolling through your phone whenever you have a free minute, right? Like when yeah. is the last time people yeah. just sat down and just did nothing? You just sat there with yourself and your thoughts, Right. And that's where some of those kind of fears come in, that kind of like self-doubt and negative self-talk of like, oh, uh, you know, I I should be doing more right now. Or, oh, am I really good at this thing that I say I'm good at? Or did I say something stupid that my friend thought, um, you know, changed his opinion about me and all these things? And the thing for me is I had to deal with those things when I float, right? Like there's no escaping yourself when you're in that situation. Um, I mean, so, you can just, so what would dealing with something like that look like uh, in your, in your experience? So I would be in the tank, I would be floating and all of a sudden I start seeing thoughts or hearing thoughts that are like, uh, you know, you could be better at jujitsu, you know, like you're not good. Like think about last night when you got tapped out by all these people and you did the technique wrong and, you know, coach told you to do something and you still didn't do it. And, and then you start to feel bad about yourself um, right, right. in a sense. Yes. But as I kind of keep floating and you get deeper and deeper into it, eventually 
you realize that like those thoughts are just like, that's just what they are. They're just thoughts, but I don't have to associate my identity with them. So uh, it, it's almost like an evolutionary biology thing where it's like millions of years ago, we had to have negative uh, thoughts and doubts and fears because it's what kept us alive. It's a survival. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Right. It's just that nowadays, you know, there's no saber toothed tiger that we have to run from. Like when you saw a tiger or a lion, it was like, it was appropriate to have fear. Yes, you know? absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, but could, now that, that fear could save your life. Exactly. But nowadays we've replaced that lion or that tiger with, a you know, an email from your boss that's like, I need this report by tomorrow. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And that's the danger now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the danger is that, that, um, that trigger, whatever that thing is, it's getting harder and harder to escape. So the whole point of you having that fear response is that it gives you a boost of energy to get away from the lion and tiger. Yeah. Once you're gone, like once you're away and you're safe, you're supposed to let that calm down again. But when you get an email from your boss, you're thinking about that. Like, you don't get to escape that. Like, how are you going to escape it? Like, that's a thought that's just there all the time. And so you get that chronic kind of stress, that chronic kind of um, um, negative self-talk or, or, or negative thought pattern. Um, but when I'm in the float and I get into that deep relaxation phase, it's almost like I, I become an observer of those thoughts. Like I just see that thought outside of myself and I just see it pass along. And then I think to myself, oh, okay. It's not that, you know, I have to associate these thoughts about me being bad at something with who I am. It's just that, oh, I noticed I had a thought about that. Um, and then I can go deeper into, okay, why did I have that thought? Oh, I had that thought because I had an issue with my confidence or I had an issue with not being, I don't know, validated by my coach about a certain thing that I was doing. Um, and the more I can kind of unravel those thoughts and see them for what they are, the more I can detach from them. And the more that it helps with my ability to not get too upset about things or um, to be able to calm down that kind of constant chatter in my mind. Does that kind of make sense? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, do you feel like that sense of calm that you experience in the tank in that moment spills out into the rest of your life? Like by going to the tank and retreating into your, I guess, your own mind and seeing all of those thoughts and processing all of those thoughts, do you find yourself far more calm in the rest of the world? Absolutely. Um, so the first thing I will say, though, as a caveat is floating is a practice. Okay, floating is no different than exercise, than jujitsu, than dieting, because one float is not a miracle cure. That's like right. saying I'm going to have a right. six yes. after one yes. after one workout session. It's like that's not how this works. It's like I floated. I've spent many hundreds of hours lying in a saltwater tub doing nothing, hmm. and it isn't. It, ha it it wasn't until like many many hours in that I started to notice this kind of long-term effect on my overall life. So one example I give to people is like, one of the biggest changes I've noticed in my life is when I'm on the road and I'm driving, 
I have so much less road rage now. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when I used to have to drive to Toronto for work, it's a long commute. Um, someone might cut me off and then I'd start to get angry. I'd want to honk my horn and it would just ruin the rest of my day because now I'm thinking about this moment all the whole time I'm driving to work. And then I'll be at work and I'm focused on a task. And then it's like, oh, I've just remembered that thing from this morning. Like, you know, I really don't like how that person cut me off. And what I've noticed is as I've floated more and more, that same kind of like observance, I bring that into my conscious daily life. So now somebody cuts me off and I notice I'm about to get angry. Like I notice my, like my heart starts pumping a bit faster. I notice like my hands grip the wheel harder. Um, I have, like I lift my hand for a moment cause I want to honk the horn. And I just like notice all the, the starting signs of me doing these things. And then I'm like, whoa, okay, let's take a step back. Let's pause for a second. I notice that I'm getting angry. I notice I'm about to do these things that I'm probably going to regret later. Um, and, and, I can... and will, and will serve nobody and only harm yourself. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I also start to think of like the other things that could explain what's going on. So it could be like, well, maybe that guy cut me off because his wife is in the hospital giving birth to his kid. And he, that's why he has to cut in front of me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You, you, you never know another person's circumstance. Right, exactly. It, and now it's possible that, you know, he just cut me off because he just cut me off. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but how is believing that going to make your day or life better, right? Right, exactly. So being able to like be detached from those moments or when I'm about to get very emotional, I'm able to step outside of myself and be like, whoa, why did I react like that? So it's really brought a, a deeper sense of self-awareness to you. Absolutely. Yeah. What I like about what you're saying, and I want to dig into a little bit more, is this idea that I think Marcus Aurelius captures well in the quote, uh, between the stimulus and the response lies the choice. And mm. obviously T.S. Eliot talks about that a lot in his poetry, you know, mm -hmm. between between X and Y is the shadow, he says, right? And um, a lot of people don't believe in that idea, Jeff, right? A lot of people... A lot of people think emotions are just things that happen to them that they have to process or handle or whatever. But I love how you're describing it. Emotions can be something you observe. Yeah. And they yeah. don't have to be good or bad. They don't, and they don't have to have impact. They can just be like a natural wave washing over you. But can you um, go a little bit more into how you began to distinguish your emotions as something that is ha are happening to you or not as something that are happening to you necessarily, but something you can kind of choose? Yeah, so I would say that you can't control your emotions per se, but you can control how you respond to them. So if something upsets you or something makes you happy, um, a lot of the time, like, okay, let's say I'm on the road and I, I see a car accident happen in front of me. Of course, I'm going to have an emotional response. I'm going to be like, oh my God, is, are those people okay? Like I'm scared for the safety of these people in front of me, right? Yes, um, yeah. But now, what is your response to that? Are you going to panic? You know, um, Are you just going to keep driving? Are you going to pull over and try to help these people out? Like, like 
that's where you get to decide what you do. And, and that Marcus Aurelius quote, I think that's what he's talking about. Like there's the stimulus, right? Yeah. You right. have an emotional response. Can you act in the best interests of yourself and others despite having those emotional reactions? Because again, that's an evolutionary kind of thing. It's, it's built into us, right? Like we're not like it, it, our, um, that deep kind of, those deep kind of emotions and those responses and triggers, like those are meant to help keep us alive. Um, they're supposed yeah, I've, to- I've always said that anxiety is not the problem. It's a signal. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I 100% it's, it's, agree. It's literally saying pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And, yes. And the problem is that most people's reaction to anxiety, is, from what I can tell, tends to be avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. When right. literally the thing they're feeling anxious about is the thing they need to either come to terms with, accept, or deal with. Right. And that's a big fear of why people um, hesitate when I, we tell them about floating and they're not sure if they want to try floating out because they already know that about themselves, which I find kind of like ironic because like, oh, so there's a lot of people out there that have the self-awareness to know that they're being caused a lot of it or that they're a very anxious person in general, but they just want to avoid it. They don't want to deal with what's actually going on like below the surface. Um, well, isn't, isn't that the hardest journey of all though, right? Is to actually face rea- the reality of yourself as opposed to maybe the illusions that we travel around with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also important, again, this goes back to the idea of separating your thoughts from who you are. Um, and this has helped a lot of, um, I guess our float community, like the people who come and float a lot of people who've had those fears and they decided to like get into the float anyway, um, they kind of really like uh, the way we describe that experience of like, listen, you might have anxious thoughts in there, but that's perfectly okay. Um, Just have the patience to ride that out because eventually you'll get into that deep relaxation phase where you're kind of half conscious and you're going to st- you're going to keep seeing those thoughts but you're not going to have that same kind of like fear of them you're just going to observe them without judgment um and it takes a bit of patience to get there but the point is is that listen if you've had anxiety about something it means that like you said there's a signal about something in your life that's not quite right um and it's okay that that's not quite right as long as you're willing to like come to terms with it and then hopefully do something about it. Um, But sometimes what stops people from getting there in the first place is thinking that it's not even okay to have those thoughts. And I'm here to kind of facilitate people's like journey and floating by saying, look, if you have bad thoughts in there, just let them run wild and eventually it'll subside in a sense. So I also say that the brain is kind of like a toddler. So when you first get in the tank, if you have a very like ADD monkey mind, it's going to keep running and running and giving you a lot of chatter and bringing up a lot of thoughts, a million miles a minute. Yeah. And 
just like a toddler, sometimes you got to just let themselves run around until they get tired. Same thing with your brain. You got to let it run around. You got to let it ruminate and have all these thoughts. And eventually it's going to tire itself out. Um, and you'll get to a space where your thoughts just slow down, where the thoughts will only come in one at a time. Um, you're going to be able to see them, observe them, and really process them a lot more slowly rather than, for example, um, I don't know, you're on your phone and then you're watching TV and then like you're going back and forth between that, right? Like you're, there's too much going on there. Yeah. Um, I see that as one of the largest ailments of our society is the constant, unending, relentless just stimulation of you're watching TV, you're on your phone, you listen to music in the car, you, you know, you're never, ever turned off. And something I started doing, uh, you know, a while ago is um, every so often on a weekend, I'll leave my phone in my bedroom for like an entire day and I just won't mm-hmm. even look at it. And it's incredible the amount of serenity, peace and calm you get from just doing that. And I can only imagine how much it is compounded when there is no light, essentially no feeling and you're just in this tank experiencing really yourself. It's the first time you can hear yourself think, you know? Yeah, because we're always surrounded by stimulus. Like something I also compare is um, when people think of of a relaxing time, right? They might think of sitting on the couch, eating popcorn. And and the thing is, you're actually not relaxing in that situation because what's happening is you're watching TV. So your sight is being stimulated. Your your hearing is being stimulated by what's coming from the television. Uh, If you're eating food, now your taste buds uh, your your olfactory senses are being stimulated. And even if you're walking down the street, right? Like think about yourself feeling the wind, seeing the sun, seeing everything around you. Maybe you're not paying attention to the noises of the birds and the cars around you, but you have to hear them anyway. So in that sense, again, your mind is like your phone. So I'm not using my phone right now, but it's on. And it's draining battery because it's got a lot of kind of background functions running. You know, maybe it's Instagram running in the background. Maybe there's like other apps and stuff like functioning. That's what's, that's what's happening with our brain. So even if you're not focused on a particular task, just the very fact that you have to contend with seeing things, hearing anything at all, that still taxes your, um, your brain in a sense. Um, so that makes sense that when you put your phone down, that's just one less thing. That's just one less piece of, uh, sight touch and, and possibly sound stimulus that you have to deal with. But when you're in the tank, you take all that away. And so that's why we say, again, it's like training wheels for meditation because you're teaching your body to be in an environment where there's nothing coming in. There's no light coming in whatsoever. There's no sound coming in whatsoever. Not even like um, ambient sound or ambient light. Uh, So that's like another level of reducing your stimulus. Man, that's, uh, it, it sounds incredible. Are you open? Like, is your business open right now? 
We are open. I am proud to say we are open. Good, okay, good. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come try it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very interested in it. How? Okay, so how often do you float a week? Me, I float at least once a week. Okay. Last week I floated three times, um, but I'm obviously like way on the high end of that. Yeah. Um, well, what do you what do you kind of recommend to people if they're wanting to make this kind of a practice? So if you've never done floating before, I think it's important that you try it like two to three times to kind of figure out what works for you. Um, so again, I, again, it's a practice. It's just like exercise or diet. It's like everyone's got the, going to have their own kind of flow, their own kind of frequency. So some people are once a week. Some people are once a month. Some people are once every couple of months. Uh, some people are only when there's like a specific event coming up. Like we have a pro MMA fighter that we sponsor um, and he floats all the time with us. But his floating is, you can see like whenever he has a fight coming up, that's when he starts to ramp up his floating. So we have people that do it like that too. Like, oh, I have a job interview coming up. Oh, I got a big project coming up that I have to prepare for. Like they might start ramping up their floating then. So it could be just like a frequency-based thing or it could be like a event-based thing. Um, but once you do it two or three times, you'll kind of figure out, okay, I like doing it in the morning or I like doing it at night. Um, I like doing it on a certain day of the week. Maybe it's to start my week on a Monday or it's to end my week on a Friday. Um, I think it's really important that everyone discovers that for themselves. That's really neat. Um, so another question you, so we've talked lots about like the kind of the emotions and dealing with the emotions and how you can learn to control your emotions through it. But do you find as someone who floats quite often, um, a higher or more space for cognitive sharpness because of the control of emotion? Like, do you feel like you get more gas out of your cognitive function because you are in more control of yourself? Mm, yeah, I, it's hard to say um, because I've floated for like so often for a few years now. Um, I would say that it it definitely slows everything down more, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like when I'm doing jujitsu, for example, uh, this is something I do in the float tank, especially when I used to have competitions coming up. I would literally pretend I'm doing jujitsu in the float tank, like in my mind. So uh, there's actually a study that was done um, on basketball players where they took a group of people to shoot free throws and practice shooting free throws. And they took another group where they, they didn't practice shooting free throws. They only practiced in their mind, like visualizing shooting free throws. And I think they did this for a few weeks. And by the end of the few weeks, they asked everyone to shoot free throws again. And the rate of improvement was very similar between the group that actually shot yeah. three throws and the group that just visualized yeah. it. That's yeah. so incredible. Yeah. I yeah. what the human mind does, right? Is we, is we create things in our mind and then we create them in reality. Yeah. So um, in regards to like 
having that kind of higher cognitive function that you're talking about. What I've noticed is like when I'm in there and I, I'm literally drilling, I'm repeating a move in my mind. Like, okay, I'm going to grip the hand here. I'm going to turn my body to the side. I'm going to switch my hips and, you know, grab this Kimura or an arm bar or whatever. I will play that over in my mind about 10 times. And then the next 10 times, I will recreate that scenario, but my opponent, I, I recreate the resistance that my opponent gives me. And then I'll do that 10 times. And then the next reps, I will visualize if they escape from my arm bar or whatever. And then it's like, okay, if that happens, what am I going to do after? And so by recreating all those moments while I'm in the tank, when I'm actually on the mat in training or in competition, when those scenarios come up, I'm not surprised by them. It's like, oh, we've been here before. I know what to do. It's, and almost, that's it's almost like you're setting up muscle memory without actually moving the muscles. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but it's also the emotion behind it, right? Like something I really noticed was um, if someone escaped from a particular move that I'm doing, I would get kind of upset or I'd be like surprised. And in that moment of being upset or surprised, that's when the tables turn and it's like, oh, right. I've lost the whole thing. Right. Oh my God, everything's ruined now, right? But when now when I'm in competition or on the mat, when that escape happens, because I've already visualized it a few times, and I've not just visualized the movement, I've recreated the emotion while I'm in the tank. I recreate that emotion of like, oh my God, I, uh, it's like a, I failed, right? Like that surprise, that, that anxiety. So when I recreate that emotion, when it happens again in real life, I, I'm expecting it. I can see it about to happen. And I'm like, oh, just remember, Jeff, you're going to feel anxious if this guy escapes from this move. But that's okay because we've practiced this before and we know what we have to do after. And so now we're not, we're not uh, backlogged by our emotion. I can just move forward with the next step of what I have to do. Right. There's a word for that. Is, is it wargaming? Do you know that word? Uh, no, I don't think I so. I feel like that process of pre-envisioning a, a scenario and how you're going to behave in it is called wargaming, but you might have to fact check me on okay. that. Okay, <laughs> okay. So uh, it, with, uh, with you, you, you went from your office job to being a small business owner. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that process outside of the, the service you're offering, but the, the starting a business, the freedom that comes with it, but also the responsibility, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like my second or third day of starting my new job. And this is like right out of school. So this is my first like real full-time job. Um, and I just thought to myself, like, I can't do this. <laughs> right, right. You're just like, this is not how I want to live my life. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, not that I can't do it. I, I'm not going to say I hated my job. I did enjoy it and I enjoyed my coworkers and everything. But I couldn't do this long-term for the rest of my life. So like literally a couple weeks after I started that job, uh, my business partner, I had taken him floating and we, when we came out of the float, we were literally just like, Hey man, I think we should start our own float tank center. Like that was awesome. Right. Right. Was like, yeah, that was pretty awesome. He's like, we should start our own center. 
<laughs> and then you just did. And then, uh, yeah, so while we held full-time jobs, uh, we would just meet up every day after work and work on the business plan. And this went on for like about a year, uh, probably a little over a year of us having to meet up on the weekends, meeting up after our work uh, to really get all the nuts and bolts together um, of like, okay, what are, how are we, like, where are we going to go? Uh, you know, we would spend time driving around the city looking for open real estate. We would spend time calling different float tank manufacturers. We would um, get all that stuff ready. And so it wasn't until a year in, uh, I think nine or 10 months into my job that I finally left it uh, to pursue this full time. So it wasn't quite as romantic as just like, oh, I'm just going to quit my job today. It's like, no, there, there was a lot of like, uh, well, and you made a lot of sacrifices, right? Like in the sense that you, you did your weekends and your evenings, they weren't, you weren't able to do whatever you wanted. Yeah. And I didn't quit my job during that time either. Right. Cause I needed an income. Um, and plus I'm learning valuable skills while I'm there that'll translate over into the business. Um, I was working in the accounting department, um, and getting that kind of real world experience. I was like, okay, I can, I can take a lot of these things that I'm doing here to my business. So it's worth it's worth it for me to stay here and, you know, suffer a long hours. And on top of that, we actually found other float centers uh, that uh, Jan and I, my business partner, that we could actually spend our time working at. Um, oh, and, interesting. And we did it for, like, I did it for free. Like, we both did it for free. I, I literally went to the float tank center in Hamilton. Um, and I kind of know the guys there. Um, they're pretty cool. And they were gracious enough to be like, yeah, man, if you want to like come help out, like, sure. And I'm like, you don't have to pay me. I let, like, let me just sit on shift with you. Like, you want me to clean tanks? You want me to clean your bathroom? Like, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Right. Like, just let right. me sit here. Don't pay me. Um, I, th I think there's something in there. I think anytime that you build, because now you have this business that is awesome, but that's the the front facing thing that people see. What I think a lot of people don't realize is how unsexy building something like oh, that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just the the details, right? Yeah, God is in the details. And so, what what did you find was uh, harder than you expected? Or I guess it sounds like you're a pretty uh, meticulous in your planning. So maybe you didn't find that many things hard. But like, what were surprises in owning a business that you didn't expect? Oh man, like everything. <laughs> <laughs> and you went to school for business, right? That's what you yeah, said. Yeah, I went. Let me tell you. And you were still surprised. School, <laughs> business school does not prepare you for running a business. I will tell you that right now. A business school prepares you to work in an office. Right, right. Okay. Mm. There's a very big difference. Um, now, that's not to say that the knowledge you get in business school can't apply to business. But the thing is, like, almost everyone I know from business school that has a, you know, a typical job now, you're only using like 10% of what you learned in school. The other 90% is just like thrown out the window is not necessary to your job. But the thing is like, if you, if I had paid attention more, paid more attention in class and like actually took those concepts to heart and to actually apply them in an entrepreneurial setting, that's where I think the value of going to school comes in. 
Um, but the thing is, they just don't teach it like that. Like they don't teach it from perspective, like, Hey, this is what's going to happen when you run a business. No, it's like, this is what's going to happen in a multi-million dollar corporation that you're going to be a cog in the wheel of. Right. Um, do, do you find uh, yourself a lot happier and with more, do you like with more time or less time than you had before? Mm, I mean, so I would say less time overall in terms of like, um, like I'm basically working seven days a week. Yes, um, yes. So that's the other unsexy side of it, right? It's yeah. like people don't know like, hey, yeah. like people, like when people at my office like found out that I was leaving and I was starting my own business, everyone's like, oh, that's so awesome, Jeff. Like you get to make your own hours now and you get to be your own boss. I actually disagree with a lot of those statements. Because, yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, it's like, sure, maybe I get to make my own hours now, but guess what? That's all of the hours. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, yeah, sure, I don't have a boss anymore, but do you know who is my boss? Every customer that comes through the door. Exactly. Oh, my oh people don't get all that. All my suppliers, <laughs> like, everyone is my boss now. So, yeah. so People say like, oh, you're working for yourself. I actually think it's the opposite. When you work in a corporate environment, you're working for yourself. You are only out for yourself to climb the ladder, to do what you need to do to take True. home True. to get a bigger promotion. You don't care about the company. You don't care about how anyone else is doing. You just care about yourself moving up the ladder. When you run a business, you have to care about your customers, your suppliers, your creditors, your business partners, your employees, like you have a lot more responsibility to everyone around you. So I actually think when people say like, oh yeah, you know, I want to escape the nine to five grind and work for myself. And no, 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 you're already working for yourself. Ah, oh, this, that is yeah. really, really good. The I other completely thing, agree. The other thing about nine to fivers too, um, generally speaking, I find when they leave their job, they leave their job. Whereas, you know, me being a business owner myself, and I'm sure you experience this too, it's really hard. Like, so I own a recording studio. It's even when I walk out of that physical building and I go home and I'm at my house, it's hard to not feel like, oh, I have to respond to this email or I should be thinking about this or I should plan out how this is going to go. Or, you know, it's, it's constantly going where my friends who, you know, work nine to five jobs, they can step out of that building and be like, I am no longer working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, of course, that's why maybe you need some float tank time, Zach. I think I need some float tank time. <laughs> and you I was know a what, good tie back in. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you know David. That's, well that's done. One of the perks. <laughs> that's what I do. I, I play uh, little games with uh, with stories. Um, I guess so we have really, about really four quickly, or five minutes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, really quickly, we haven't hit hunting yet, and I want to hit hunting. Are you uh, Are you going out for turkey this spring? I just set up my blind the other day. Sick. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I'm using my compound bow. Yeah. So tell me about shooting bow. Tell me about what got you into hunting. Um, I, I, uh, Ian, so Ian's the one who got me into hunting and this will be my, I guess, third season. And I am desperately in love with it. <laughs> nice. Nice, man. Um, yeah. Ian and I talk about hunting all the time too. So uh, he's been a big help for me in terms of like my knowledge of hunting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I started, so it was funny. I was always like a fisher 
been kind of person like and camping and all that outdoorsy kind of stuff because my dad was like that Mm -hmm. um and my dad's a doctor and one day one of his patients uh came to him and was like hey like you know i got a bunch of guys we're going up for a hunting trip uh do you want to come with us um and that was my first trip into hunting this is like in high school like i'm like 14 years old um and ever since then, it was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. Now, there was a big gap between then and, like, university where, like, I wasn't doing any hunting at all. Um, but around the time that I graduated, uh, I was listening to a lot of Joe Rogan, and he talks a lot about bow hunting. Mm-hmm. And it kind of rekindled my enthusiasm for that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, let me get back into hunting. But instead of using a gun, let me get into using a bow. So I went to go buy a bow, uh, went to an archery club, met up with a teacher. He was teaching me everything. Um, and Which club did you go to? I was in Mississauga. Unfortunately, they closed down. Um, Ontario Classical Sport Club, I think. Okay. Um, and my teacher, uh, was, uh, what was his name? Uh, Bruce Savage. I think his daughter was like an Olympian in archery. Oh wow! So I was like, "Oh, cool! This is the guy I definitely yeah, want to learn yeah. from." <laughs> yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, but yeah, we d- I started doing archery, practicing. But the funny thing is, I feel like I've like really fallen in love with just archery. Like, never mind hunting. Like, just interesting shooting a target. With well, the it, it's another meditation. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It, I think if we had to encapsulate Jeff, it's that he loves going into his own mind and, and playing around. It's his like playground. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I honestly really enjoy the archery and like the training aspect of it. Cause like, I'll be honest with you guys, I have not been successful with my bow at all. <laughs> In hunting. <laughs> yeah. I, oh. I have not, I've actually never even shot my bow. In that- a Oh, wow. Oh, dude. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I was going to ask you this question, but I guess you can't answer it because I was going to ask, check out this tie-in. I was going to ask how your experience in floating and controlling emotion applies to your shooting in a hunting situation because, you know, every season I go out and I shoot my bow. I shoot a crossbow. Ian got me into shooting crossbow. Mm -hmm. I I will get into compound eventually. Um, But so what happened last fall is I shot over the top of of a deer of a buck um and uh it is mind boggling so like when you (laughs) when when you shoot in a in in a practice or training scenario you know there's there's a meditation that happens you know you you tell yourself like you know continue looking through the site after you've pulled the trigger squeeze the trigger don't jerk it like all those sorts of things there's like a mental checklist that you go through to shoot accurately and then you put a buck in your sights and it just goes out the window oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like and I, and i'm sure that that's why i missed and i've had successful shooting scenarios and unsuccessful shooting scenarios and it all comes down to emotional control yes absolutely um i will say that I've seen turkeys like, like just far off in the distance, like not enough for me to shoot clearly. Um, but I know what you're talking about, that emotion of like when you finally see the animal and it's like, oh, oh, it's here, it's here. And like, I want to jump out of my seat. I want to like run to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I can totally understand that kind of 
um, like knee-jerk reaction. And floating has, it'll help, but again, it, uh, the, when the real thing happens, you're still going to have a, an emotional response. Like there's no way to condition yourself other than to yeah. actually experience those mo- moments. Yep, yep. So, well, uh, I, uh, the first time I ever had a turkey come in, I was hunting with Ian and I shot and I missed. And then I took that experience into the next time I had a turkey come in and it was an entirely different experience and I was able to get that mm, one. Nice. And, and so, yeah, I think you're right. There's a certain amount of emotional experience that you cannot account for until you're just plopped into the situation and you have to handle yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping this season that I'll see something um, and hopefully I'll have the emotional discipline to like, you know, be still and not get overexcited and pick my bow up right away and really take my time with it all. Because I've practiced for like a few years now, you know, I've shot, I've shot a couple thousand arrows by this point. Um, and not once have I actually released an arrow in an actual hunting situation. So I'm eager for that, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, when been, when it yeah. happens, you need to call me and yeah, tell me. Yeah, you I know. Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> so even while I'm practicing archery, I'm trying to do the same thing that I do in the float tank with jujitsu, where it's like I pretend or I try to pretend that the target is a turkey. I'm right. trying to pretend as if I'm feeling that emotion for the first time, and like my heart rate spikes. You know, my, I start sweating, um, and I even go so as far as to like wear some of my hunting gear while I'm at the archery range. Yep. Just because like, I, I noticed that like I wear gloves when I'm out hunting, but I don't wear them while I'm practicing. Right. I right. Like, no, 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 I do the I same thing. To, yeah. So now I wear gloves all the time. Cause like, I'm going to be wearing gloves when I'm out there anyway. Yeah. True. True. I need to get that feeling of what it's like to pull the bow back and all this stuff, like with the gloves on. So that again, it's one less, uh, it's one less variable that's like completely different from the actual experience. Nice. Well, Jeff, we're all out of time today, um, but thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please plug all of your stuff, your, your business, your social media. Where do people find you? Yep. So um, my float center is Go Float Studios located in downtown Burlington. Um, you can go to gofloatstudios.com. Uh, you can go on Instagram to gofloat.burlington and follow us there. Uh, we are open, so you can book a float, you can call us, you can email us, DM us, we'll, we'll get you in for a float. Um, and yeah, that's all I have to plug for today. I love that, man. Um, well, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, hopefully, maybe maybe one day we can hit the woods together or hit a lake together and do some hunting and fishing. Yeah, we'd love yeah, to. Right, we'd, well, maybe we'll go with Ian. The four of us can go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah that we'll would call, be awesome. We'll call up Blackie and make a party out of it. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> well, oh, love it, guys. Uh, Thanks thank again. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate you guys. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for your perspective on these things. I really appreciate them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The CAD Story. That's The C-A-D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.